I hope you had a chance to read the scripture passage before the sermon. And anyway, those who missed it, they had a chance to read it, hear it from Joel. And thanks, Joel, for reading it for us. The story of Israel's uh, uh, story of Israel's rebellion continues. As I told you in the last two sermons, here we have the words of Moses. Moses is rehashing or he is retelling to the new generation of people who are about to cross over to over Jordan to the promised land, what happened over the 40 years of the wilderness journey of their parents. And he is telling that this is a flashback. And he is telling them the story of their failure, the failure of their parents, so that this new generation, those who are most of them below 40 years of age, young people will learn some very useful lessons about walking with God so that they will not fail God in future. The story so far is this, that um, if you missed last week's sermon, that they have left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, they came over to this side of Red Sea, they have moved, they wandered, they traveled through the desert wilderness and they reached Horeb and in Horeb they stayed for a few days where they received the law from the Lord and the Lord made a covenant that they said, I will be your God and you will be my people. So they entered into a covenant, a bond, a treaty with God. And they traveled another 11 days and they reached a place called Kadesh Bernia, which is the entry point, which is the southern border of the promised land. It is just walking over the border. It is just walking over the border to the promised land. It was just a few hours of walk. That is it. But then Moses told him them, yes, let's go. Let's continue our journey, the 11 days of journey. And the 12th day, we will be in the promise that God gave almost 400 years ago. And uh, so they were right at the point of that. But these people, they failed to trust in God's promise and in his strength to lead them into the land, to drive out the enemies before them and to give them a land that flows with milk and honey. They thought of doing a feasibility study. They thought of sending a few spies, 12 spies, who will go and find out whether they can do really capture it or not. They wanted to do a logistics study, uh, which route they should take, which is the easiest, safest and most uh, a useful route to take. So they did all these sort of studies and the reports came. Ten spies said it's impossible. We should not. Two said we should. Our God will go with us. And they went with the majority and they refused to enter. They failed to enter. Now, that was what happened so far. Now, in this passage, we hear, we see God's, we, 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 we are taken farther. And what happened after that? God was angry. Very, very angry. That 
at this particular point when the promise was just uh, a handbreadth away, stretch, they can just stretch and grab it. They decided not to move on. So God judged them. They got punished them and God ordered that they should not go move, move forward any further. They should go all the way south. So the promised land was north. So they were moving northward from Egypt all the way from Horeb, Sinai, all the way north. And they are now at the borders and they refuse to move forward. So God said in verse 14, no, go down, go south. But as for you, God ordered, verse 14, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the sea. God said, now that's enough. Now I have brought you so far. I have brought you the, the borders of the promised land. You refuse to move on. Then you go back all the way to the, the difficult wilderness away from the land of land that flows with milk and honey to wander, to just to wander around in that arid wilderness for 40 years. Not only that, the word, the, the God also told them that this generation will never enter the promised land. Except two people. That is Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, who were very young when they left Egypt. But they were faithful. And even their leader, Moses, will not enter the promised land. But a new generation will definitely enter. But they will enter from a different uh, side. So there are two judgments. One is you retreat, you go back, you return to the wilderness. Spend 40 years of wandering. But your children and Jephunneh and Caleb will enter that land. They will see. See, God is not. One important truth that we need to note here is that God is not revoking the promise he made to Abraham and renewed with Isaac and Jacob. He is not revoking. He is not taking it back. The promise is eternal. The promise it remains all the promises that God has made are valid forever. It is not. God will not change his mind. But this passage tells us that God will exclude some processing the, from processing the promises. Though God's promise remains eternal, valid for generations after generations, the rebellious generation were excluded from that and that promise eternal promise is valid it is reserved for a new generation who will obey him this has been proven many times in Israel's history in the history of the Bible the ancient Israel waited for a Messiah to come for centuries after centuries they waited for the Messiah to come and to establish a kingdom where there will be peace and equity and harmony. 
they waited for it. And in BC 4, a Messiah was born in the manger in Bethlehem. In, in Bethlehem, the Messiah was born. And the Messiah walked, lived among them for 33 plus years. He did wonders. He did miracles. He forgave sinners. He established the world, at least in a miniature, a world of peace and harmony as he exorcised the demons and when he made the crippled walk. And the deaf hear and the dumb speak. But they failed to recognize him as the Messiah sent by God. They rebelled, like the ancient Israel rebelled. The Israel of first century AD, they again rebelled. And finally, they crucified him. Though he rose from the dead and manifested to them, was preached among in their synagogues, still most of them did not believe in him. Now what happened? The promise of the Messiah remains. God's promise of reconciling people with the hostile humanity with him remains. So the Abrahamic promise went to the Gentiles like me and you. We are not Jews. We are not the household of God. We are not the people of the nation of Israel. But though we were aliens and strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, God made us the, the inheritors of Abrahamic promises. That is biblical history in a nutshell. This is what happens there. God's promises remain valid and he pans it over to the obedient. Now, the, the truth that we need to keep in our hearts now is this. Now, in the first sermon, I talked about God's various promises. There are numberless, there are numerous promises in the Bible. A few I gave, the, the promise of his presence, the promise of his protection, the promise of his love, the promise of eternity. But remember, brothers and sisters, if you fail to inherit those promises or claim those promises, God will have somebody else to claim it. The promises are valid only as you take that offer from God. The promises are not valid unless you take, possess, move forward and claim it. There may be others. Sometimes I used to wonder. Now I'm an observer of people. Over the many years or six decades, I've been observing people's lives. Sometimes I'm tended, I, I, I'm, ten, I, I'm tempted to believe or made to believe that why blessings from some families are withheld for many, many, many years. And then suddenly, after a while, when somebody in that family passes away, or when they, or they move away to another place, that family flourishes. Why? Probably, I think, in the light of the scripture, I think, I'm made to believe that there are people who block God's promises because of their unbelief. And the promises are valid. God reserves the promises, waiting for the faithful and the obedient to come. Like 40 years of waiting, God held that promise tightly to his chest for a generation to rise up 
in the wilderness and all the rebellious to die, then he hands it over to this new generation who now almost from another entry point, they're ready to cross over Jordan under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb. And they will inherit the land promised to Abraham. Now, that is what God's plan was. But the people rebelled again. When God said, don't go move forward, it is not yours now. The promise is not yours now. You will never inherit the promise because you doubted me. You thought that I hate you. You doubted my guidance. I, though I carried you so far, you doubted that I am not with you. So it is not for you. So for you, you go down to south, travel south, southward and wander in the land. Now what people said? They rebelled again. <laughs> what they did is, they, verses 41 to 42, then you answered me, the people told Moses, we have sinned against the Lord. We ourselves will go up and fight. They had a second thought, rethinking. Just as the Lord, our Lord, God has commanded us. God had commanded us sometime back. Now God commands that they don't inherit, will not inherit. They should go back, retrace their paths. But they are going to obey a command that God gave them long time back and which they failed. And they and every one of you fasten on his weapons of war and thought it is easy to go up to the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up for a fight. Don't try it again. The time is over. I had given you time to go up and fight. Now it is not the time. For I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated for your enemies. God told them. God gave them a warning. Now, going up, I told you to go up. You didn't go. Now you have a second thought, but don't go up now. I am angry with you because you did not take the promises when I told you to take it. When it was within your reach, you rebelled against me. You doubted me. You said bad mouthed me. You said God hates us. God is walking us into a trap. Though I was going ahead as a scout before you. God said, I am not with you, but you still went ahead. You went ahead with your in your own self-confidence and on your own strength. That is what they did. They fastened their swords. They took all the armor that they have and they went ahead in their own strength without God leading them or being with them. They did. They engaged in a godless endeavor. They they ventured into they, they ventured into an adventure without God. That is what happened. The word of God gives warning. See Psalm 33, 16 to 17. Psalm 33, verses 16 to 17. The king is not saved by a great army. So that is how politicians think. The king is saved by his great army. The Bible has a different logic. A warrior is not delivered by his own strength. No. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. We come to that point. But it is God 
who gives the victory. Though in common sense, the common sense tells us that our resources, our strength and our wisdom will make us successful. The Bible says all these are useless unless God, the creator of the universe and the savior of the world is with us. The futility of human efforts, but the power and the might of God that helps us to have victories. See what Proverbs 3, 5, 8 has to say. Be not wise. Trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Like these people did. They have all these reports but they thought that the swords that they have fastened to their bodies will give them success. And in all your ways, I'm continuing to read Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make great straight your paths. Be not wise in our own way, eyes, in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, flesh and refreshment to your bones. Are you thinking of doing something? a new initiative, a new venture in your life. Remember these verses. You may be planning, you may have all the feasibility report. You might have thought 100 times about the logistics, but remember that our wisdom is limited, our strength is limited. We are puny little human beings in the presence of this great creator of this universe. There are always blind sides. There are things that we cannot see or understand. But there is nothing that our God cannot understand or see. So trust in his wisdom. Don't just look at the feasibility reports, the statistics and other things that are before you. That paper work that is done. Trust the Lord. Always ask, God, are you with me? Are you ordering me my move or I am, am I stepping forward in my strength? What is the consequence of not trusting God? What happened to Israel? They moved on further north to, to the land of the Amorites, the land that God has given them. But the promise is withdrawn from them. The Lord said God is angry with them. He said go down, don't go further. But they went forward. And what was the consequence of their rebellion? Utter humiliation. That is what happened to them. They were utterly humiliated before that army. But a few days back, if they had gone, if they had done this a few days back, ventured into that land by God's strength and God's leading, the land, would that would be a cakewalk. That would be theirs without any effort. But at 44 and 46, what happened? Then they went, they marched forward. They stepped forward into that land with a might, with trusting in their strength. But when they entered the land, the people of the land, the Amorites, then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you. 
as bees do and beat you down in Sairasmara's horma and you returned and wept before the Lord. They were chased all the way south and they returned and wept before the Lord but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. Utter humiliation. They were defeated because that was a battle they did without God. Against God's will. That is the most important thing. It was against God's will. God had told them not to do that. But they still ventured into that dangerous land when God has abandoned them. There are some important lessons to learn from this. Number one, the importance of remaining in God's will. The importance of remaining in the God's will. I keep on saying this phrase again and again in the sermons and in the prayer meetings that we should be at the center of God's will. What do I mean by that? What do people mean by that? So imagine you are in a ship or in a plane, in an airplane. I remember my first flight and uh, I got into the flight and I fastened the seat belts. And then I realized and the, when, the, when the door was shut, I realized I was not afraid of flying. But then I realized that I am in a cubicle and in a few minutes time when the flight took off, I realized that I am going away from all that is dear to me. A lot of things that are precious things that I have left behind at home. And I am totally lost control of myself. I'll be going in the direction that the flight goes at the speed that the pilot has determined, following the flight path, and I'll be landing in a place which the pilot has decided to land. I have lost complete control on myself, my own life now, at least for the next eight hours. That is what being in the center of, in being in, in God's will. That is, we are not on the periphery of God's will. But being inside God's will means uh, the total control is given to God. The total control of our life is handed over to God. He holds the steering wheel. He holds the jockey stick. He decides the altitude. He decides the speed. He decides the direction of our life. Now, that is the importance. So that is what they failed. They failed to be in God's will, in the, in the, in, inside of God's will. Sometimes God's will will be distasteful because we invite God's anger in our lives. That's a plain truth, like these people did. God's will will be distasteful, but we have to accept that too. But if we gladly accept God's sometimes distasteful will, God will bring it to a glorious end. God will never leave us, never forsake us. Sometimes we deserve punishment, isn't it? When we do something wrong, our parents do punish us. 
so that we know that what we did is wrong and we don't repeat it. But then they reward us for gladly going through that discipline. They hold us, they hug us, they, they give us a toffee, they treat us with something because we, God, though the punishment was distasteful. I find a very apt illustration in the life of a godly man in the Bible, David, the king. The story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 to 23. David was a great king, a good man, but every good man has some bad things as well in his life. And David had, had his. One day, he committed adultery with his own soldier's wife, Bathsheba. You know the story if you have read the Bible at least once. And he arranged the death of her husband to cover up his sins. He lost many soldiers in the process. And he had a child in adultery. And 2 Samuel chapter 2, chapter 12, verse 15 to 23 talks about that. But God punished him for his wrong deed. God ordered that this child should not live. The child should die. After a few days of giving birth to the child, the being born, the child died of an unspecified disease. And David fasted and prayed for the life of the child. David did not eat food. He did not go for merrymaking. He prayed, fasted and prayed. Read that passage. But on the seventh day, the child died. When the child died, you know what David's reaction was? When the child was, when, when David was told that child died, David rose up and he washed himself. He had a shower. He anointed his head. He put on new clothes, uh, uh, changed the clothes. He was wearing sack clothes. And he was joyful. So the, the, the servants, the staff, the, the courtiers asked him, why, why are you doing this? That all these days you were crying and lamenting and praying and fasting. Now suddenly you have, when the child is gone, you are, you look very happy. What happened? You know what David's response was? 2 Samuel 12, 22 to 23. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, but and that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back to back again? I shall go to him. But he did not return to me. David accepted God's will. He knew that God has punished him for something that he did wrong. A serious mistake. Adultery, murder. Betrayal. And he, that distasteful will of God, he went through that. And he accepted it. 
it's God is not gracious to me. He has punished me. I accept his discipline. I accept his chastisement. And God was, God was so pleased by that acceptance of David, humility of David. And a second child was born to the same wife, Bathsheba. A second child was born. And that son was inherited the crown, the throne from him. His name is Solomon the Great. He became a great king, a great emperor, the wisest of all human beings, the mighty king, the glorious king who built palaces and temples and the glorious Jerusalem temple. His greater, his humble acceptance of God's chastisement and led him to a greater blessing. Sometimes we are human beings. We fail God. But God will also punish us sometimes. But we have to go through that gladly. Though it is distasteful, no discipline is good. But accept it. That is by we surrender to the sovereignty of God. The people were not willing to do that. The people rebelled. God's will had, God had different plan for them. But they rebelled. And they tried something against God's will. And they failed. Humiliated. There's a warning. But David accepted God's chastisement. He went through it. And that led to a greater blessing later in his life. A second lesson that I found in this is the importance of repentance. See, in verse 41, you know what people said? We have sinned against the Lord. The people realized. When God told them, return, don't go, go. That is not your promise anymore. That is somebody else's promise. It is not yours. You are not going to inherit it. God said, go south, in the opposite direction. But the people said, we have repented. We have sinned against the Lord. Actually, here is a huge difference between confession and repentance. What they did is they confessed. Confession is actually admission of a mistake to say that I have done something wrong. I've been a teacher all my life and I had to deal with students who make mistakes. And every time I, I, I call a student to my room, as soon as he opens the door and sees my face, he or she will say, sir, I'm sorry. Even before I tell them what went wrong. And I know that is the strategy of escaping punishment or correction or a rebuke. So I said, what are you sorry for? I didn't ask you anything. So it's just that is just actually basically they're taking a, uh, they're bailing them out, out themselves. They're bailing, them, uh, uh, bailing out themselves to just say that I'm sorry. Confession is only an admission of mistake. But repentance is different. Repentance is coming to a point where you are so sorry for your mistake when that you don't want to repeat it. It is turning away from the mistake. To recognize that I did a wrong, something wrong is one thing. That is confession. To say I did something wrong. But repentance is not doing it again. They have said that we have sinned against God. So what? Then 
obey God. God is now ordering that you go in the opposite direction, southward, in the southern direction. But they are repeating the same mistake again. So that's a huge difference. Repentance actually is to understand. Confession and repentance are related. When you confess, when we confess something wrong, that I have done something wrong with God, against God, that confession should lead to repentance. In the case of these people, they just confessed. But they did the same thing again. They did not repent. Even sometimes in our Christian life as well. Why don't we make a progress? Why don't we make a progress in our spiritual growth? Because we know things but what we have done some is wrong. But we are not willing to correct it and not to repeat it. But those who confess, that is, and repent, they move forward in their spiritual life. Because one by one, step by step, they make the pilgrim's progress towards the city where of joy, of heaven. That's important. Act on the promises of God. In the first sermon, two weeks back, we were reminded that God has given us a whole lot of promises. And I urged you and myself that we should look for promises every day. God's promises. But promises comes with tremendous responsibility to obey what God has said, promised, so that it can be ours. We can claim it. So act on the promises that God has given us. On time, there is, this, there is only a binary choice, a choice here. Either possess it or lose it. That is what the choice to the ancient Israelites were. At Kadesh Barnea, here is the promise that I promised to your father, Jake, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now here is a choice. Move forward and possess it. Or lose it. Forever. But promises are valid. Your children will do that. Jephina and Caleb will do that because they trusted in my promise. They are the only two spies and who said, God will give us victory. Let's move forward. Now, the lesson that we have to take away today is this. Claim God's promises and act on it. If you have heard from God that, that he will be with us, he will never leave you or forsake you. Believe that. Act on it. In times of trouble, doubts and discouragements, claim it and step forward. God will be with you. It, it, little story from my own life. I started serving God at a very young age, even in my college days. There were times when I had to attempt things which I thought I cannot do by my own strength. But I knew it is right for God to do that. See, it's like going to a principal college principal's office and stepping into that office and uh, asking for permission to start a prayer meeting in that campus. But one thing I did and I found help uh, always encouraging is that just before knocking at the door of the principal or the head of the department, whoever it is in the college, 
while I was working with the college students as a college student, I always prayed and I put my right foot forward, trusting that God is going to open the heart of that person in my favor. And I would say with confidence that whenever I did that, God had opened the hearts of the person and allowed the permission or at least gave me another chance to come back and make that request again. But whenever I stepped in with my strength, I was either not given an audience or I was humiliated. That's a simple lesson. This is not promising. I was not entering the promised land. But in every little task of your life, brothers and sisters, remember this. Step forward, trusting in God. You will have success. Make sure God is with you. God has commanded you. But when God says, don't step in, don't step in. Don't step, put a, a single step forward. We will be humiliated and defeated. God is a good God. Sometimes when he says no, that is also good. As good as when he says yes. May God bless us. Take a moment. Let's close our eyes and take a moment of silence so that these words will sing in our hearts. <laughs>